Hello and welcome to another episode of the Life in Red podcast, lifeinredpodcast.com, Life in Red podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and Life in Red pod on Twitter. Happy Nurses Week! Uh, and my guests today, that's right, there's two of them, uh, are nurses. And throughout this pandemic, I've tried to stay away from sharing, I guess, the more sciencey. Uh, health stuff when it comes to the pandemic uh, and public health, because I, I wanted to keep focus on the news and following public health guidelines. And I didn't want to muddy the waters in any way. But when this opportunity arose to chat with my two guests, who again are both nurses, there's a couple of reasons why I wanted to do it. One, it's National Nurses Week. And I think that's super important. Two, my mom was a nurse for uh, pretty much all my life, 27 years. And while I don't know the full extent of what she's been through in her career, I know some of it and I know how difficult of a job that can be. So I have a lot of respect for nurses and uh, I wanted to help facilitate and share some of the stories. But three, the mental health impact on nurses right now is something we don't hear a lot about. And I wanted to bring to light because it's one thing to be in lockdown and experience all the stresses that we are experiencing, whether we're parents, living alone, being in lockdown, not seeing our family and friends. Absolutely, it's very tough. I've had a hard time, as mentioned throughout this podcast. But what our healthcare professionals are going through, specifically our nurses, specifically our ICU teams and nurses, that's what I wanted to come for bring forward because from what i've heard and what this podcast showed this episode is it's very difficult and we need to put that at the limelight of all the decisions we are making so we talk about you know what nurses are going through how this pandemic has changed them their colleagues and nurses in general and we talk about the mental health impact and what we can do to help make a better system for them. So uh, my two guests, one is an ICU nurse. One is, forgive me as I'm recording this, the exact title, but she's a former ICU nurse who has kind of been brought back into the fold through this pandemic. Uh, and I think it's a really critical conversation we're having. And I really hope you learn a lot and take a lot away from it. So please give it up for my guests, Alicia and Christy. Take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Breaking the normal little schedule I have here to bring kind of a special episode that's very timely right now and something I'm passionate about. And it's also Nurses Week. So, Alicia, Christy, welcome. Thank you. And a very happy Nurses Week to you. Thank you for having me. Hello, happy to be here. And of course, as soon as I hit record, then the fire truck next door decides he needs to go. <laughs> um, first of all, I, I will kind of get you to describe your jobs. But before we do that, I just want to ask, and I know it's a bit of a stupid question, but it's going to help facilitate the conversation that we're about to have. And Alicia, I'll start with you. How, how are you? How's the last year been? Um, and especially from your perspective uh, as a nurse. 
Um, today I'm doing okay. I was feeling a little anxious this morning about doing the podcast because I've never done a podcast before. Um, but I knew I would be in good hands and I'm happy to be here with Christy. Um, I really am taking things day by day right now. It's, um, I just got off of two really busy hard shifts at work. So I woke up this morning just feeling exhausted. Um, but Overall, I think I'm doing okay. Christy, and, and ha- same question. How are, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, just like Alicia, I just got off my set. So I think I'm on, what day of the week is it? Can I remember <laughs> now that I'm back on shift work? Um, I'm on my second or third day off of my stretch of five. And um, yeah, my set was busy, um, especially my last night and uh, my third day. I had a bit of an experience with the team nursing situation where I was the ICU nurse for four patients just for a short period of time. But um, yeah, it was um, a little bit stressful. There was that sense of, oh my God, I'm in charge of all these patients. Don't screw up, don't screw up, like focus, focus, focus. And um, that I haven't, I mean, I've always been focused at work, but the amount of responsibility really weighed on me this set. And um, yeah, it was it was heavy. I, I wasn't myself at work, I think I'm usually pretty outgoing and, and loud and, you know, joke around a little bit. And uh, I had my serious face on this set. And I think anyone working with me would tell you the same. Mm. So uh, I, I mentioned it a long time ago on this podcast, but I haven't really talked about it. My mom was a nurse for m- most of my life until very mm-hmm. recently and, and worked in care. And I just... I don't know, but I have a sense of how difficult and how stressful and how emotionally draining a job like this can be. And I'm going to let you both explain that. But, you know, we also talked to Casey, who I think you both know, or Christy, you at least know, uh, my friend Holly, who's also been on the show as a nurse. So the, the past couple of months, I've been having a lot of discussions with them about, you know, what's going on in, in the life of the hospital, because I think there is sort of a disconnect where we're at right now in this pandemic, where there's a lot of talk about lockdown. There's a lot of talk about, you know, um, businesses and, and hospitals and ICUs. And a lot of people don't really understand what that means because we've just been hearing about it, but there's been no human connection with what's actually happening in the hospitals. So that is a big reason why I want to have you on today. Now, Alicia, you are an ICU nurse. That's correct. So can you describe what your job is when it comes to being an ICU nurse and maybe how that differs from other nurses or like other floors and and other Uh units? So, uh, yeah, I've been in the ICU since I graduated from nursing school. So for nine years, uh, I knew in nursing school that critical care was the path I wanted to take. And so I finished my schooling in the ICU and was hired as a new grad. And To be an ICU nurse, you go through sort of a special training, a special orientation, which in our uh, unit takes about three months. So you've got extra sort of textbook classroom learning, as well as sort of a lot of buddy shifts and hands-on learning. So it's definitely a very specialized area of nursing. And to be honest, it took me probably a solid two years in the ICU before I felt really comfortable there. And 
all that to say, there are still shifts uh, where I'm very much out of my comfort zone. So um, as an ICU nurse, you, you literally are responsible for somebody's life. Patients that are in the ICU are there because they're very sick. And of course, we have an amazing team in the ICU, doctors and respiratory therapists, physiotherapists, dietitians, there's a huge team um, in the ICU. But as the nurse, you're the person that's there with the patient at the bedside for 12 hours. And so it really carries a huge weight of responsibility, knowing that you're kind of responsible for this person's life. Um, and that, yeah, that, that's, it can be really heavy. It's, um, it's, you know, of course there's a lot of, there can be a lot of levity at the, at the bedside too, right? I work with a lot of really amazing people and it's not all doom and gloom all the time. Um, because of course you have to have, you know, coping mechanisms just to get through your day, but in general, it's a really serious job and, Um, most of the time it's really busy too. So, um, when you have a really sick patient, you're going for 12 hours. Um, my last two shifts, I, you know, didn't get my dinner breaks. I can probably count on one hand, the amount of minutes I sat down in 12 hours. Um, it's just really busy and it's hard to, it can be really hard to let it go at the end of the day, it can be really hard to come home and try to just like move past that, that shift that you just had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're surrounded by just when you think about the pandemic in general and the stress that mm-hmm. it has created for everybody and how people have reacted and felt different about things of just, you know, being at home or not going in the office or not being able to see people, different things have really stressed people out. Now, when we go into your role, and, and the yeah. amount of stress and pressure and everything that's happening, the, the, like you said, that weight, like that stress is almost tenfold in certain cases. Yeah. How, how has the role really changed if at all, when it's come to this pandemic, because when we're in the news, like ICU has been stressed, right? That's what mm-hmm. my understanding, what we're trying to prevent is having the ICUs become overrun and then yeah. into like a triage situation where we're having to make de- decisions on care. How has it really changed with this pandemic uh, f- for you anyway, in your experience? So it's interesting because, um, you know, we're used to taking care of critically ill patients, right? That's the job. And so we're used to having really sick patients and working in a stressful environment. I think that what COVID has kind of brought to the table is a, is a huge amount of uncertainty. If I was going to sort of characterize the last year for me as a nurse, that's the word I would use is uncertainty because at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, um, management educators in the unit were preparing for sort of the surge in patients. And we had all these plans in place and in Ottawa, it took a full year to have to put those plans into action. And so every time we sort of went through a wave, it was just this uncertainty of like, how bad is it gonna get? Is it gonna, is this gonna be the time that we are really maxed out and and have to put those plans into place? And, and it didn't happen. And so then I think we got to a point where we were sort of 
thinking that we might have got through it. And then all of a sudden mm. this third wave comes. And I think we realized really that the mood in the unit um, changed really quickly at the beginning of the third wave. And I, and I think everyone knew, okay, this is it, it's coming. Um, and seeing the case counts go up in Ontario and then starting to, for, for me, when it got really serious was when they started to announce that we were going to get patients from, from other areas. Um, because even if, you know, Ottawa had its numbers under control, knowing that we're going to start to get patients from the GTA and stuff, that was, that was really stressful. And it's just really crazy. Like I had a conversation with um, one of the ICU doctors yesterday about, you know, when have, when has there ever been a time when you could walk through our unit and it's just the same disease. You know what I mean? That that's never happened before. It's just COVID, 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 COVID. Everybody's really sick. Like that's just, it's a once in a lifetime experience for me and for, for most of the people that I work with. Mm-hmm. Christy, now you aren't, to my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, but you weren't an ICU nurse. You worked on another unit and you mentioned kind of right off the top that you were always in, in charge of a, an ICU unit. So what were you doing before and how has this pandemic changed your role? So I worked in the ICU actually okay. for five years. So I, I was an ICU nurse and then I left there um, and I'm now what you're, you call an NSWOC. So I'm a nurse that specializes in wounds, ostomies and continence. Um, so I am a team of four in total between the civic and the general. So we have a small team um, and we do consult nursing. So I get consults for patients and I implement a plan to heal wounds and I do discharge teaching for patients who have new new stomas. So that's what I do now. Um, But I I did work in the ICU and I left, Mm. uh, I think just three years ago. Okay. So how did you go from wounds and and this this whole other area you know how did all of a sudden you go into you know leading a team of ICU nurses and is that a very because I know I guess if you worked there before uh like obviously getting brought back makes sense but I mean is this like a common thing for nurses like nurses in other units are now being transferred into the ICU to help with, with all these patients or onto the COVID unit? From, no, from my understanding, I, I mean, at least from my time at the auto hospital, this has never happened mm-hmm. before. Um, even on, on days where we would be short, um, we're not pulling nurses from other units. We're doubling, you know, a nurse would take more, a second patient or something like that. So yeah, this is very new. And uh, that just goes to show just how dire it, it was, you know, um, I had volunteered to go back last year when mm. the pandemic hit. There's quite a few of us. They had, we had gotten an email and said, if, you know, if you've had ICU experience in the last two years, would you like to come back and be retrained? So you go to the, um, our electronic charting class. Cause I work in a different context. So I don't see a lot of the flow sheet that we work in, in the ICU. I don't see the, the medication records. I don't see you know, parts like that, that the, the nurses who work with patients directly do. So I had to learn uh, the whole new way of charting. And I had a couple buddy shifts just to, to get back into the swing of things. Um, and it's, there's a saying, it's like riding a bike with the bikes on fire. It's pretty accurate. <laughs> um, and then it never happened. You know, I did my buddy shifts. I was prepared. I bought scrubs. 
I was, I was ready to go and, and it never happened. Just like Alicia said, things got better. And I think we thought we were over it. And then we got slammed with this third wave and I wasn't immersed in, in the unit when it was happening, but I had heard some, some buzzes about being pulled back. And I, I had heard from a couple, you know, I worked there for five years. I, they threw me my baby shower for my first baby. I'm still friends with a lot of people who I used to work with. Um, so I was getting messages. Hey, have you heard, uh, are you getting called back? I just got an email. And I'm going, mm, this is happening. Like, <laughs> this is bad. And then I heard, oh, we just got a patient from Toronto. We got our first patient. And I'm going, yeah, I have to prepare for this. I think, I think I'm going back. And I heard uh, my manager kept me very much in the loop of what was going on. She communicates really well with me about, about what's going on in the hospital. And then I got an email from the ICU manager, I think on a Wednesday. And I started back in the ICU on the Monday. And I was buddied. So my first couple shifts, you know, you're getting your feet, your feet wet again. You're trying to remember, okay, what do we do? What do we not do? And things have changed um, a little bit. Like it's scanning meds now. We never used to do that before. So it was having to balance that, the, the new way of charting and the patient care. But it, it you know, I, I was focused. I knew I had to, I had to get it back and I had to get it quickly. Um, a strong point of mine is, is shouting out that I don't know something. Um, you know, you really have to recognize when you're not comfortable or you don't know, and don't pretend that, you know, and don't pretend that you're comfortable, say it right away and swap out with somebody else. So, you know, I'm, I'm good at that. So that's been helpful. And I wasn't in charge of anybody, but what happened is one, we were in a corner and one nurse had to go help with a, a critical event. And another nurse had to take her patient to the OR. So in a span of 10 minutes, I'm now covering two floor nurses um, and four patients. And that's exactly what the collaboration, the team nursing thing is. And we haven't really, or I haven't really had to do it yet. And that just happened. It just so happened that this nurse ran over to help. This nurse had to go to the OR at the same time. And now suddenly I've got four patients and two floor nurse buddies. So I'm going, okay, so now I'm the ICU nurse and I have to make sure all these four patients are, are okay. So it's, uh, yeah, it was a little stressful, but I just think the most important thing in a role like mine right now is to speak up and speak loudly when you're not comfortable or when you don't remember something like pushing, pushing a drug. I couldn't remember the, the normal dose. And I just had to say, I don't know what this is. Can someone tell me normally you'd look it up or you remember. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of been my experience going back. We, uh, we both, we all know, I, I should say, there's three people, but uh, Quajo and uh, a, it was last January, I had him on the podcast. And that was like when, before the, the virus hit Italy, it was still kind of in China, but it was like becoming more of a thing. And I asked him, I was like, you know, does it worry you? Do you sit there and you're like, that might come here? Does it worry mm -hmm. you? And he kind of said, there's no point of worrying about it. And uh, he's like, if it happens, it happens and we'll be ready. And then it's funny when I, I go back and listen to that or I hear it and where we're at now is like, wow. I I would like if you can, because I know it's a bit, it's like, it could be heavy and, and bring up certain emotions, but it, whatever you're comfortable sharing with. Mm -hmm. When we talk about this virus and, and what it's doing to people, we you know, I, I got attacked by anti-vaxxers and maskers a couple of weeks ago on TikTok because I was excited for my vaccine. And, um, you know, it's the the common talking points. Well, it's a 90 percent 
survival rate, it, you know, blah, 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 whatever they say. Um, can you take us into a little bit about what this virus is doing to people while they're in the hospital in these ICUs? Cause I don't think we humanize it enough and we treat yeah. this like statistics. Like we're like, Oh look, only five people died in a hundred cases. Not bad. Everybody high fives all around when it's still, you know, you just lost five people. We take away that human element of it. So um, Alicia, I'll start with you. What are some of the experiences you've seen with this virus with people who have reached the ICU? What's it like? It keeps me up at night worrying that it could be me or my family members. That's for sure. It's terrible. Um, I actually, I actually took care of the very first COVID patient that we had in the ICU last year. And I remember um, it was assumed that he had COVID, but the test hadn't come back yet. And so it was, you know, I had been taking care of the patient all day. And I don't think unless you've had the unfortunate experience of not being able to breathe, that you could ever understand how terrible it is. Um, because that's really what it comes down to is that these patients cannot breathe. Uh, COVID attacks your lungs in a way that's just so devastating. And so, you know, I think back to that first patient, um, just how, you know, how difficult it, it was for him just, just to breathe. Um, he couldn't talk because it was too difficult to talk. It took too much energy to talk. He couldn't get up to go to the bathroom. Um, because it was too hard for him just to take a few steps to the bathroom. Um, you know, when you can't even turn yourself over in bed by yourself because you're so out of breath, like that's, that's what it does. Um, so in that case, that, that was a patient who was awake and was, you know, not requiring intubation. Um, I would say a majority of the patients that come to the ICU with COVID are there because they need a breathing tube. And so these patients are intubated. They have a breathing tube put in and they're attached to a ventilator. And we, we have to take over their entire, more or less their entire bodily function. So the sickest COVID patients, um, are sedated. So we put them on all sorts of IV medications just to, to knock them out and we paralyze them. So we give them IV medications that paralyze them so that the ventilator can just take over all the work of breathing for them. Um, and the thing that I think about a lot with these patients is like, of course, you know, we, we sedate them to the point that you know, they're not conscious, um, you know, there's no response from them. But when somebody's paralyzed, it's really hard to know, like, it, the, the thoughts always creep into my mind, like, you know, can this patient hear me? What is this patient thinking? What's going on in this patient's brain right now? <laughs> um, because obviously, we, we, we don't know that. And as much, you know, sedation and narcotics and different medications as we give people, I'm always wondering, like, what, 
if they're thinking, if they're dreaming. I know that sounds really strange, but um, it's just, yeah, they're, they're so, so sick. And so, um, you know, right now in the ICU, we've actually brought back some equipment that hasn't been used for years. Um, these machines are called high frequency oscillators. And they are normally used on, on babies. And it's just a machine that we, we rarely see it. I think in my nine years, I'd seen it used once before in the ICU. And now we have two of them on the unit. And it's, um, it's a machine that gives like, it can give up to 600 breaths a minute. Like it's just, it's just impossible to even imagine unless you see this thing in action. Um, and we're doing these things to try to, to try to save these people. We often um, prone patients that have COVID. So we lay them on their stomach um, and that helps kind of with like the oxygenation in their lungs. Um, and that's, you know, it's a difficult process. We've, it's funny. I was just thinking yesterday as we were proning my patients um, before COVID, it was a big deal to prone a patient, right? Like it, it rarely happens. I can count on one hand how many times I'd seen it happen in nine years. And it was like a really big deal and everybody would be nervous about doing it and it would take a lot to get it done. Now we have a proning team <laughs> and they literally just go through the unit and prone all the patients and they are so fast and they're so efficient and we've gotten so good at it. And that makes me really sad that this is a skill that we have perfected. Um, because again, it's like, it's the, it's the thing that we do when, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's not much left to do. And we are fighting really hard for these patients in the unit. Um, you know, we've learned a lot about COVID in the last year. So, so the team has a really great idea about like what we can do to give these patients kind of the best chance. Mm. Um, but yeah, they're, they're really sick. And the other thing I often wonder about is, you know, what, um, for the patients that survive, what's their, what's their quality of life going to be? What's their lung function going to be like after this? Um, I, you know, I hope that these patients pull through. Um, but then I really think about like, what's their quality of life going to be. And, and even for patients that don't end up in the ICU, one of the things that, that worries me the most is like the stories that we're hearing about, you know, patients that, uh, you know, people that had COVID and had mild symptoms, but then a year later, still are out of breath, walking up a flight of stairs, you know, still aren't back to work and are having these like long-term um, kind of side effects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Long COVID is yeah. a big issue. And there's actually a, a study and I'm, I don't have it, so I don't want to quote the number, but it was like the people that end up in the ICU, like the suicide rate is way up. And it's like, Okay, so what's the mental impact of being through that situation, the, you know, the PTSD, all that stuff? Yes. Yeah, ICU patients, yeah, ICU patients in general have like a higher incidence of those types of mental health issues and PTSD. Um, and, and yeah, we're seeing a lot of patients in the ICU right now. So that's, that's something that should be thought about long term. Mm -hmm. Christy, I'll ask you the same question. What's sort of been your experience with people who are whether suffering critically or just in the hospital with COVID like how mm. how have you seen that progress well I have a a bit 
of a broad range of seeing seeing what's going on in the hospital as well. Like when they're coming into the ICU, I've only had um, I haven't had any awake patients since I've been back. They've all been just like Alicia said, sedated and paralyzed. And the amount of people who are on the exact same thing is really bizarre. The whole the whole unit is very bizarre. And I think that's like the only way I can describe it. I've never mixed so much paralytics in my career in five years that I worked there. I mean, you use it, but it's not the norm. And it, for the COVID patients, it's the norm. It's, um, yeah, it's very, very bizarre. Seeing patients prone and like a lot of them prone mm -hmm. is also very bizarre. I remember when I was training, um, the educator said, we'll talk about this, but you, you probably won't see it. And they were right until COVID. And now it's everybody. And we're proning these patients uh, like clockwork now. It's smooth. And it, it is really sad. You know, you're happy that it went off without a hitch and, and they're prone. But then you just can't do the, the care and the stuff you want to do as a meticulous, detailed OCD ICU nurse when they're upside down. And, you know, I want to wash their hair. And I want to label all my lines and I want to, to do all these things. And you can't, cause there's no time. You have to prioritize and triage your patients and triage your day and triage your tasks. And that for me is hard going back to because I work in a, in a routine kind of way. You know, I make sure my assessment's done. I make sure my meds are in. I check all my lines, you do your safety checks. And it's, it's just not, you, you just can't do all those things anymore when they're, they're on their stomach. And, you know, it used to be able to just grab a buddy to turn your patients so that they're not getting pressure sores and you can't do that anymore. You have to wait for RTs and you have to wait for four people to turn them. And it's, uh, I I've had a hard time not being able to give the care that I want to. And because you, you just can't. And it's also, the patients are so delicate. I'm finding, mm -hmm. um, you know, you like someone the other day I was, I was doing just facial care and, you know, just washing his face and his pressure tanked just from, just from bothering him that small mm -hmm. amount. So that's hard. And it's, it's going to, I think people don't understand either how long it's going to take to decompress the hospitals. So mm -hmm. they don't just wake up and I see you and go home, right? Like you've got, they've, they're looking at potentially months of rehab and is there a rehab bed? The rehab's probably all full of COVID patients, not to mention all the other patients who need rehab. And then the floors get backlogged and the floors are backlogged, but we're also taking their nurses. So they're backlogged with less nurses. So, you know, the whole healthcare system is taking a, a hit right now. And, you know, I'm seeing it in the ICU, but I'm also seeing it um, in the floors and at the rehab center. So it's um, it's really concerning. That Thank you for bringing it up because you're right. We just anyone who's not a part of it, we have no concept of what is going on. And that's what really frustrates me about people, you know, again, with that 98 percent survival rate, how many things are now a part of this. Like we have the, where they're not scheduling surgeries or people maybe not be going into the hospital, to get checkups and, you know, cancer was up, I think in the, after the last wave. And, you know, there's just all these repercussions because we 
when we never planned this out, we never expected this to happen and never accordingly planned. My question for you and Christy, I'll start with you because throughout this pandemic, we've had doctors come on, we've had epidemiologists, we've had, you know, people who study viruses and they're the ones who are on the news kind of being the face of, of health and, and trying to command everybody into listening to public health. We haven't heard from nurses a lot. So my question for you is why did you decide Christy to come forward and start sharing some of these things from a nurse's perspective? Cause I know you were on CBC. I think you did CTV, you know, what made you want to take on this responsibility on top of all the other things, you know, you're already at work stressed out. You have a family, you have a life, but, and now you took on this additional kind of role. Why? So the short answer for that is because I found out I was allowed to. Um, I think that nurses, there, there might be a little bit of fear there. You know, are we going to get in trouble by the college? Are we going to get in trouble by our hospital? Um, no one's really promoted that we can talk to the media. And I remember seeing um, that nurse, uh, and I, I'm not judging, not, I don't want to get into her case, but the one who came back from uh, somewhere overseas in Toronto and wouldn't go to the hotels and whatever. She was talking to the media saying what she believed. So I thought, well, why can't I talk to the media for what I believe? And Alicia actually contacted me. Um, CTV wanted to speak to her one day, but she was working and they asked if she had known anyone who'd been redeployed. Um, so she got me in contact with them and I said, am I allowed to do this? And I contacted our managers and um, also the there's a PR lady at the hospital who was really helpful too. She ran me through questions and, and how to answer and whatnot. And I went, oh, I'm allowed to do this. And I'm loud and opinionated and I've got some things to say. So I'm happy to do it if people want to listen. And mm -hmm. I've had good feedback, um, which is important to me. I think if, um, if my team wasn't supportive and if they didn't like what I was saying and, and if I made the profession or the hospital look bad in any way, I don't think I would continue to do it. Um, but I've gotten a lot of good feedback and support from, from management and from our peers. So mm. I think it's oh. important. Like we have a voice and we're not heard very often. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Alicia, were you contacted Did it just fall on your lap or did you reach out and, and want to start being a voice? Yeah. So for me, it actually started on Twitter. I had posted, so I had posted a picture of myself on Twitter after a rough day, um, spending most of the day in sort of really difficult PPE. Um, and somebody contacted me on Twitter, um, asking if I would want to do an interview. And again, I felt sort of unsure about it because, um, you know, like what, what can I say? What can't I say? You know, this is a, this is a really difficult time and I want to share my experience, but I also don't want to get in sort of any hot water with like, you know, the hospital or, or stuff like that. Um, and so the same thing, I, I reached out to my, to my managers and I spoke with the PR lady from the hospital and, you know, got their blessing to, to go and 
to go ahead and, and do those interviews. And it's funny that once you do one interview, they all just kind of keep coming, which I was really surprised by because I thought like, you know, you've, you've heard me talk, but um, I, uh, again, I was happy to do it. And I, and the overwhelming kind of response from the people I work with has been like, you know, you know, thanks for being a voice for us. Um, not everybody is comfortable, obviously, you know, talking. And so, and, and I wouldn't say that I'm comfortable with it. I always, I still feel anxious and I always feel anxious doing it, but I just feel like somebody has to do it. Mm -hmm. And so if that's gotta be me right now, then, then that's a role that I'm happy to take because yeah, I think oftentimes nurses voices are, are not the ones that we're hearing. Um, and right now, uh, you know, nurses are struggling and it's going to be like the effects of this pandemic. I don't think we're, we're even going to know how this is going to affect nursing for, for years to come, because right now we're still in the thick of it and nurses are, you know, nurses are a very committed bunch and we tend to be very loyal to the places we work to work for. And so I think right now, a lot of people are kind of head down, get through it. Um, and so we'll see kind of when this is all over, how many people leave the profession, mm -hmm. leave the bedside for different areas of nursing, um, you know, and there's a lot of issues that we could talk about just as far as like the government and, and things like that, like the support that nurses need um, and the recognition. Um, that is probably a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, you know, I, I like to think that just having nurses voices out there can kind of edge that needle along a little bit in a positive direction. I know my mom left the profession because of the absolute disaster that is long-term care. Um, yeah. And she would tell me all the things that happen. And I'm just like, Jesus, and this is before the yeah. pandemic. This is before yeah. the pandemic. So, you know, but I, I think about the conversations I've had with my friends who are nurses and you know, they're, they're my friends. They've also been guests on the podcast, but they just, they know they can be blunt and honest with me without, and, and I'll be like, oh, can I tweet this and start some shit? <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're like, oh, probably not. But, um, you know, so I just, I, I really sympathize with what's going on. And mm -hmm. I always say, like, I, I, I wish I could do more because, you know, working in media and, and on the radio station side and going back to last spring where everyone's like clapping for you. And I'm sure that was nice. It's like, oh, lovely. And now we're a year later and people are the government and you don't have to agree with me. I'll just say it. the government and people are just basically throwing dirt in your face. And I joke with them. I'm like, well, they clap for you. What more, what more could you want? Um, and how, how that disrespect goes. I'm curious. And I'm going to ask you about the same question. What are you advocating for? Like, why is it so important to get this nurse's perspective out there? What are the specific points that you really want people to, to understand mm -hmm. and to know. And Christy, I'll start with you. So I, I think it started as I wanted to speak up with how bad things were in the hospital and, and the ICU. I mean, I say the hospital as a whole, because again, it's true. And I see that perspective. And I wanted people to, you know, take, take lockdown seriously, take the, the recommendations seriously. And, you know, 
try and relay what's happening in, in the hospital so people would maybe get a better idea. That's how it started. Um, but now that, you know, nice people like you are giving me a bit of a soapbox and it's nurses week and there's been a lot of talk about, um, you know, our, our lack of pay increase mm -hmm. this year. Um, you know, I, I'll keep going as long as people don't mind listening to me, I'll keep talking about it. And yeah, so that's, that's kind of where I stand with, with speaking mm -hmm. out about things. Um, and I don't know if people really know what we do. Like I've been asked before, like, oh, do you just give patients bedpans? And I'm like, first of all, <laughs> they're not patient. These are people. These are human beings. This is mom, dad, aunt, your friend, mm -hmm. your partner, the, uh, the government maybe, but also just the public. They forget that these are people. And, you know, there's times where so do we, because we have to disconnect ourselves a little bit to cope. Um, but COVID has brought me back to really thinking this could be, you know, this could be my husband. We've had a conversation about what quality of life are you comfortable with if you get COVID and are intubated? At what point do you want me to withdraw care? And we've had a really serious, tearful conversation about that. So that's the type of stuff I, I want to speak about. And I want to remind the public that like, these are human beings. These are... These are just real people. And, you know, same with nurses and these these poor people in the long-term care facilities were, you know, the, the reports were were shocking and, and really sad. And mm -hmm. they're people. You have to treat people with dignity and and with care that they need. I think doctor shows have really what what's the word? They've it's all about the doctor. People have this perception that it's like the doctor that comes in and takes care of you and, and all that. When in reality, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that like you see the doctor for five minutes, maybe once a day, mm -hmm. it's the nurses and the other staff that are in there taking care of you and doing everything for you. And yeah. the, you know, I've seen a level of disrespect for nurses that, you know, like I can't sit here and pretend I know everything that you all do, but that, you know, I think there's a lot of misogyny in that too, but it's just the level of disrespect always baffles me. Alicia, same kind of question to you. Like, what are the things you're really trying to, you know, let people know about this? Mm -hmm. I think something that you said earlier about how, you know, a lot of people who um, are sort of disregarding COVID as a serious issue talk about sort of the, you know, well, only only this many people out of a hundred are gonna are gonna get sick and and are gonna die um and i think it's it's easier to have that perspective if you haven't known somebody who's been sick uh and so obviously my perspective is that i see the sickest patients and i see and i know that for every patient in the icu there's five or ten more out on the COVID ward, right? And uh, for every five or 10 that are on the COVID ward, there's, you know, 100 at home dealing with the stress of this illness. So and every single patient that we have has has a family. And it's been real, that's been one of the really hardest parts of this uh, whole situation is that right now, 
you know, you, you can't have, there are no visitors really. The only time visitors are coming in is if someone unfortunately is going to pass away. Um, and so we have, um, you know, we do the best that we can with FaceTime. Um, the patient that I had the, the last two shifts, um, they had, you know, we set up a FaceTime call and there was like, you know, like 20 people on the call. They had, they had family from all over the place on the call. And, you know, I just kind of put the, I put the iPad in front of the patient who like, again, is, is intubated and sedated. Um, but I put the iPad there and I just tell the family to talk to them and, most of the time I just leave the room so that they can have sort of that time with each other and to be outside the room and hearing these families talk to the patient. It's, it's really, really heartbreaking. And I think like, I just imagine like if that was my husband in that bed and I couldn't even be there with him, it's really terrible. So, you know, I want people to know that just because this hasn't affected you, in your life doesn't mean that it's not affecting other people. And I think just like the most common sort of, you know, the common goodness in people should be to, to worry about those of us that, that are affected by this and to care, um, you know, and that, that is how this started for me was just wanting people to understand that, that just because this hasn't touched your life doesn't mean that there aren't people out there that are really suffering. Um, and, and then, yeah, I also feel as though, um, you know, there are a lot of issues, you know, we, as an ICU nurse, I have to say, like, I have it pretty good, <laughs> right? I work in an area of the hospital that's pretty well-funded, um, yes, we have staffing ratio issues, you know, yes, I wish that I had more paid sick time and better vacation policies, like that's all true. But for me, I really worry about the nurses, like you said, in long term care, who were dealing with terrible situations before COVID even started. And that entire system is broken. Um, and then also just the nurses that work on the floor and home care nurses, like there's, there's an entire profession that just needs more respect. And um, I like, I just hope that if anything comes out of this pandemic, it's maybe going to be, um, you know, better working conditions for for nurses, and also just for the people in in those situations, the people in hospital, the people in long term care, the people requiring home care. Um, you know, I hope that some good comes out of this. I, I have to say that I'm not super optimistic about it because I think we've seen before that it, it takes a lot for things to change, but I'm really hoping that, that some good comes out of this. Yeah. I'm with you. Like that's my hope and I'm not optimistic because I, I don't know what it is, but they always cut healthcare and education yeah. first. And I'm like, pardon me. Um, mm -hmm. I want to talk about, the mental health of nurses, because I mean, this is the main reason I wanted to have you on. We've heard about yeah. the pandemic, but the mental health of our healthcare workers is not really being discussed too much in, in the broader conversation of things. Mental health is my background. That's something I'm very passionate about. I public speak mm -hmm. about it and, and everything and talking to my friends in the nursing profession and, and how much they're struggling uh, with it right now. Mm -hmm. You know, 
a lot of people are like, oh, you know, mental health and lockdown and which is valid, but they're not concerned about the mental health. There's almost an expectation that, oh, well, you signed up for this. Like, this is what you wanted to deal with. So like, we don't have to feel bad. I want you to as deep fire trucks in this important <laughs> conversation. Um, can you tell me, you know, what is the state of mental health with our nurses right now? And please get as deep as you'd like to and share any stories that you can. Christy, I'll start with you. Well, I think everyone is um, feeling that pandemic fatigue for sure. Um, and and I speak as a parent as well. Like there's, mm. there's you're not just um, stressed at work. We have a, a whole home life that's been thrown upside down as well. So you don't um, come home from work and get a break. You're always on. And that's how someone described it to me recently is it's really hard. We don't have any downtime. We, we're always on. And you can't, that's not sustainable. You can't do that forever without, um, without breaking down. So I, I think we're going to see it in the coming months uh, more. So I think the toll is, is starting to happen. Um, I'm seeing changes in people's personalities. You know, there's some people who um, used to be really social and used to sit down at break and, and talk the whole time and have a conversation and laugh. And I'm seeing these people go off and have break by themselves. And, you know, I, I'm one of them. I had, I wanted to find a place just to have my own, my own break alone the other day. And I'm that person. I used to want to be in the break room with everybody and chat. Mm -hmm. So I, you're seeing small changes in people, especially if you've known them and worked with them for a long time. Um, you can tell that, that there's a change. Um, I think I've, I've seen it from the floor nurses as well, who uh, were scared, you know, like a lot of them haven't been offered their second shot. They are now, mm -hmm. which is good, but like we had to fight for that. Right. Um, so they were scared. Yeah. <laughs> They were scared um, because you'd be in a different in a different position there. You'd be taking care of a patient all day without a gown on. We wear masks and, and eyewear, and then suddenly they start they start to cough, and you're going, "Oh, okay. Well, I've taken care of you all day, and now we need to test you for COVID and put you on COVID precautions." And there's that element of fear and you know, are, are we ever going to be okay if a patient coughs or, or has a fever? You know what I mean? So there's that. And then the home care nurses too, like these are people going into, into their homes. And I've had a situation, I, I don't want to say too much, but um, it was really important for this person to go home. Um, they were receiving maid and they wanted to do that at home. And they, they couldn't go early enough because there was no home care. There was nobody, they, they are off sick with their kids or they're off because their kid's school is closed because they're on outbreak mm -hmm. or they themselves are sick or, or for what, there's a million reasons that, that snowballs. And there, yeah, there was just no home care nurses that week. And to me, that blew my mind. Like, so now we have to keep this patient in hospital who just wants a peaceful death at home and we can't give that to them. So that's really hard too. Like we can't take care of these people. Um, because there's just not enough staff and, and that's going to wear on everybody, I think. And I think you'll see in the coming months, more and more nurses going on stress leave. And, you know, mm -hmm. if school continues to be closed, we have to stay home, you know, um, nurses, physicians, RTs, 
their parents do. So, you know, and then that drains the healthcare system of their staff even more. So it's, it's a lot of stress. Um, I think the most stressed I felt was at the very, very beginning of it. I walked into the hospital the first day we did screening and it was just chaos in the main uh, little corridor there by the Tim Hortons. And I remember stopping at the top of the stairs and taking a picture and going, oh my God, like what's happening? And I still think about that day on a really regular basis. Yeah, just, oh my God, what is about to happen? Just, yeah. you know, it's, it's a movie. We're living in a movie in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, Alicia, what about you? What have, what have you seen mental health wise when it comes to working in a hospital and with the nurses in this pandemic? Yeah, it's funny you just said that about feeling like we're in a movie because it's something that my friends and I have said to each other really often. And and it seems like every few weeks, um, one of us is saying, like, can you believe this is happening? You know, like, can you believe this is the reality that we're living in? Um, so I have definitely struggled this past year with my own mental health. It's... Um, and I think, like I said earlier, I think that the, what's at the root of all of that is the uncertainty that we've been facing. Um, I am a very, uh, like I, and I think this is true for a lot of nurses. Like I'm a kind of like a type A control type of person. And so when you're faced with just like constant uncertainty, um, it's really, it's really hard for me to deal with. It's hard for me not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing when this is going to end, not knowing how bad it's going to get that that's been the struggle that I've kind of had. And I think at work, we've just been on a level of, of sort of, um, high alert and stress and uncertainty for so long that it just like, it's just not what our bodies and our minds are are used to dealing with. And absolutely there, there, you know, people are struggling everywhere. And I, and I really sympathize with, with people who are struggling with the lockdown because I am too. And, you know, there's nothing I want more than for this to be over and for the lockdown to be lifted. But I, I fully agree that, um, that we shouldn't, we shouldn't end the lockdown next week. I think it should be put in place for another few weeks. And I hope that that's what's, you know, going to be announced today, just because I know that if we end the lockdown too early, there's a chance that we're going to have a fourth wave. And like, I cannot even go there in my brain right now. I cannot even imagine. So, so, you know, the lockdown has been hard. Um, I think that the things that we normally do to take care of ourselves have been taken away from us right? Especially like the social part of it. It's been so isolating. Um, and so for a lot of people, um, for a lot of nurses, you know, you deal with this stress at home, you deal with the stress in your family and of the lockdown. And like she said, all those sort of things that everybody's dealing with, but then you go to work and it's even worse, <laughs> you know, like work is not an escape. It's not, a relief. It's not sort of a change of scenery. It's just, it's, it's all the COVID things only even worse. Um, and so for me, that has meant a really big increase in my anxiety. I, um, 
I've always been a, a worrier, I guess you would, you would describe me as, and like anyone that knows me and loves me would, would agree that I just like, I worry too much. I overthink things like that's been me my whole life. Um, and then in, in December of this, of this past year, I was just feeling like increasingly stressed out, um, again, like everybody. And I had a panic attack, uh, for the first time. And I really truly thought I was going to die. Like it was really terrible. Um, and it's funny cause as a healthcare worker, like as a nurse, I know what a panic attack is. I know the physiology of it. Like I understand all of it, but, and as it was happening, I couldn't understand it. Do you know what I mean? Like to be in it for the first time, I was just like certain that I was, that this was it. Um, and that knocked me out for like a good six weeks. So I was, um, I was off work and that in itself came with like a huge amount of guilt. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I, I, it's funny, like I, I, I called in sick, like it was really obvious. I wasn't going to be able to go to work that week. So I called in sick and then the next week I called in sick again. And then I realized, okay, I need to talk to my manager about this. And, you know, at the time she was very supportive and understanding. So I'm thankful for that. Um, and at that time I said, you know, I just need, I just need to not come to work for a little bit. And I felt so, I felt so guilty. Um, I ended up, you know, getting some help as far as therapy goes and I ended up on medication for the first time in my life. Um, and, you know, those combinations of things got me to the point where I could go back to work. But it's a, it's a serious work in progress. Um, I just find that I'm, I'm just not the same person that I was a year ago. And I'm a little bit worried that this is just the new me, obviously, and like learning to live with mental health issues that that you didn't have before is just like a whole, it's a whole thing. And so again, like, there are good days, and there are bad days, there's good weeks, and there's bad weeks. Um, I find myself at work, really having to disconnect a little bit. Um, because I'm one of those people that like generally cares too much, <laughs> right. And feels too deeply. Um, and I think a lot of the times that would, that's what makes me a great nurse. Um, but right now it's, it's too difficult. You know, I had a, I had a, sh I had a set a couple weeks ago that, that really broke my heart. The whole situation really broke my heart. And that happened to be right at the time that I was doing some interviews, um, so, you know, the rawness of what I was feeling and dealing with at the time, I think really came across in some of the interviews that I did. Um, and, and so now I feel like when I'm going to work, there's just a little bit of a, there's a bit of a wall up because I just can't, I can't, I can't feel those things again. You know, it's too hard. And I think that's how people get burnt out. Right. That's, um, and that kind of burnout is what I'm trying to avoid right now. Like, I don't want to quit nursing. I really love the ICU as hard as it is. Um, and so I don't, I don't want to leave the ICU. I don't want to leave nursing. And so I need to find the way 
I need to find the ways to like take care of myself so that I can keep doing this job. And I'm, and I'm still trying to figure it out to tell you the truth. And I, and I don't think I'm alone in that. I think there's nurses in all sectors of healthcare right now that are probably feeling the same way. Like, how am I going to keep doing this in a way that I can still take care of myself? Thank you. Um, for sharing that and both of you and being open and vulnerable about that um, as someone who goes to therapy and is on medication. And it's not always easy to share that uh, publicly yeah. and even with your friends and family. So thank uh-huh. you. Um, I know that's not easy. Well, and that, that'll be news to some of them for sure. <laughs> brings um, a lot of perspective. And I think uh-huh. the thing that hit me most from both of you that like, you're not the same person you were a year ago and that like that, breaks my heart to see people who, you know, have behavior changes and what are the effects going to be, like you said, like six months from now, a year, five years, 10 years, you know, what, what are going to be the ramifications for people who have really been on the front lines of this, mm-hmm. um, moving forward? Like that is very concerning to me. Um, I know you both have to go, you're both parents, but very busy and this is your day off. So I don't want to take too much. It's beautiful out. Um, and I was going to ask you about anti-maskers and vaxxers, but we'll skip that because I don't want to give them any time for being dumb. I'll ask you about the same question. As a public, we are not the government, so I cannot give you more money, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But as the public, what can we do more of, if anything, to support our nurses through this time? And I'll start, uh, Christy, with you. Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to touch on something you said earlier about the clapping. Um, we appreciate the clapping. You know, I don't want it to sound like it didn't mean anything. It, it did. It mm-hmm. was it was nice to know we were being thought of. Um, but that's nice you thought of us, but just don't forget about us, I think. Um, you know, the pandemic will end eventually. Um, the problems in nursing are still going to be there. I, I don't Think that they're going to get fixed so you know the the cookies the food the the drawings and the clapping all of that is great and we appreciate it but what we really want is for you to vote and pay attention in the next election mm-hmm. and you know the the threats that they make against the nursing profession are real and they do it and they follow through on it the amount of cuts we've had are enormous and the amount of cuts that we'll have after the pandemic the pandemic hasn't been cheap you know this money didn't come out of thin air it came from the government and they're going to want it back Mm -hmm. so I have no doubt that we'll have a lot of cuts um you know when all this is over and just just pay attention you know pay attention to the news pay attention to what's going on uh you know listen to us don't forget about us when the pandemic is over. We've, we've been going through this for as long as I can remember, and it will continue unless, you know, the people continue to support us and to support our profession and to lobby our government for it. Mm-hmm. Alicia, um, anything you'd like to add, follow up on with that? Yeah, I think, um, I think Chrissy's right. There's absolutely like, we do feel that support that comes from the community and, and it does help. It does make us feel a little bit better, um, you know, in all those little ways that we see support from the community, but there's, you know, absolutely. um, The only 
way that things change is, you know, people putting pressure on, on the people in power. And so absolutely, you know, right now our union is fighting for uh, a change in a bill, which has capped nurses salaries at 1% um, in Ontario. And, you know, our union is fighting to have us exempt from that uh, because firefighters and police officers are exempt from that bill. And, and I think that nurses deserve to be exempt from it too. And so, you know, there are issues like that that face our profession all the time. And, you know, just being aware of the things that are going on and, and lobbying again, like even just to like your local politicians, I think is something that can, that can change. Um, For me though, also one of the most important things is like just to listen to the professionals, listen to the scientists and public health, you know, they're like, I, this is not a conspiracy, (laughs) you know, uh, nursing is like, it really is a science-based profession. And so I, um, you know, I trust, and I believe the people in Ontario who are, who are trying to make the best decisions for, for our province and, you know, just try to listen and respect those policies and, you know, do the little things that you can to try to make this pandemic come to an end. Because as hard as it's been for everybody, it's certainly been really hard for for nurses and for other people that work in healthcare. And the only way that it is going to end is if people get their vaccine and people continue to, you know, wear masks and and sort of all those small individual actions, they, they do add up. Yeah, unfortunately, my uh, politician that is in my riding is Randy Hillier. So um, I can't really do much with that. But <laughs> um, uh, but you're absolutely right. And I thank you for sharing that. Because yeah, um, you know, you again, we, we see so much little tidbits in the news, like I know a little bit about that bill, because I see it a little yeah. bit. But we just we need to pay attention to it. I know there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things we have to fix but it's mm-hmm. it's just important that we expose ourselves to these these stories yeah. and, and what's really happening because we see especially with healthcare cuts matter and yeah, we're seeing really ramifications do. of it now here um so thank you both for this lovely conversation um i know nursing is a big part of your life but it's not the only thing that you do i'm sure you have lots of fun hobbies and everything so i don't know if you want to plug your social medias uh if you have a website side hustle whatever it is christy did you want to uh give a little plug for anything yeah i i started my instagram blog in january to kind of get away from covid and to focus on you know some health and wellness stuff i was inspired by you know our friend quad that we've talked about mm-hmm. and uh, i really enjoy it it takes um takes the stress away um, so that's at more than a mom underscore on Instagram. So if you're looking for some some funny videos of my kids doing dumb stuff and <laughs> and uh, some some motivation to get back in shape, um, feel free to give me a follow. Awesome, uh, Alicia. Any any uh, thing you want to plug? You know what? It's funny. I don't even now. I'm trying to remember my Twitter handle. <laughs> um, so yeah, I actually. I've been on Twitter forever and have always just been a lurker. And so recently I've been more active on Twitter and I'm, and I'm really enjoying it. The trolls haven't found me yet. So, (laughs) um, I think it's Ottawa ICURN. Um, 
And I really love connecting with people on Twitter. Um, I'm finding a lot of really sort of good support and just having great conversations with people. And it brought me to you, Ryan. So that's obviously a, a positive. And thanks so much for this podcast. I really hope that, um, yeah, if nothing else, people will learn a little bit about nursing and kind of what we do and, and how we're feeling. Yeah, well, it's it's my absolute pleasure, uh, and I agree. Twitter has changed my life in so many yeah. ways. It's a dumpster fire, absolutely. There's a lot of crap, <laughs> but uh, thankfully the trolls haven't found me there either. They just find me on TikTok. So, okay. uh, but, but seriously, thank you both Ryan. so much for this conversation and and all the work you do. Um, I I know I and uh, so many people appreciate it, and, and for all of you, you've had to give throughout this mm-hmm. pandemic. So. Um, for God's sake, I hope this ends soon for everybody and that you continue to stay healthy and, uh, you know, that your mindset can, can take you right through this. Um, so I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks Ryan. You take the red pill, you stay in wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.